Welcome to episode 91 of the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. We return back to Hell's Kitchen with part two of Marvel's Daredevil season two podcast. This week, we go behind the scenes with showrunner Marco Ramirez, costume designer Lorraine Calvert, set decorator Stephanie Bowen, and department head hair Kat Drazen. First up, we chat season two with Marco Ramirez. to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer on the set of Daredevil Season 2. And I'm very excited to bring another one of the many people that work on Daredevil. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Marco Ramirez. I'm one of the co-showrunners of Daredevil Season 2. So you work really hard on this. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, as hard as I've ever worked on anything, yes. Except for once, like five years ago, I was on a diet, and that was really hard. Yeah, I can imagine diets are really hard yeah, for me, especially especially working in film and TV where you're in catering and suddenly like yeah, there's all yeah. this food. A three egg burrito, please. Yep. Yeah, I, I will say that that's uh, off topic, but catering on film and TV is very nice. Mm-hmm. We in the Marvel offices do not experience that. Oh, so, so don't cover the food to the Marvel offices. So so season two, mm-hmm. um, Daredevil is 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 dark and gritty and amazing at the same time. And we sort of, we leave them at a certain aspect. What was it like sort of being able to bring, to get a season two and to bring them back for another 13 episodes? It was, I mean, it was, it was everything we wanted and, and including the, the great reception of season one, it felt like you've, you know, we've, we've now earned the ability to be sophisticated and dark and gritty and all that. So, um, that, those were no, no longer real conversations we had to have like, oh, how dark can we go? How dark should we go? It felt like, oh, people liked it. So let's do it. Um, yeah, and then and then we we got to introduce new character. We this season or introduce introducing new two new characters, and uh, it it was great to be able to just kind of go back into the sandbox and say, let's tell another thirteen episode arc. Let's tell another thirteen hour story uh, of Matt Murdock and Hell's Kitchen. I think what's really sort of great about Daredevil was that it was sort of like a, a breaking of the shell of this specific type of Marvel storytelling. You know, before then. There, there was, you know, the movies and, and shows on ABC are very specific feel, but Daredevil has a unique feel, and, and that leans into uh, Jessica Jones. And mm-hmm. uh, I cannot wait to see, obviously, Luke Cage and season two of Daredevil. Uh, but sort of like, do you think that now, because you're coming back for a second season, there's pressure, there's more pressure than there was the first season, but a different type of pressure? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there definitely is. It, a lot of it is self-inflicted, too. But uh, yeah, it's like it's like being a band who accidentally had a hit record and now like, your sophomore follow-up better be pretty good. So we, I think we have that pressure to live up to. I think Drew Goddard and Stephen DeKnight were... Fantastic showrunners, season one, and um, Doug and I have a big cha- had a big challenge ahead of us a couple months ago when we first started to do this. And I don't, I all I can say is I think we worked as hard as we possibly could to get it, um, and to tell a new story for Matt and for Foggy and for Karen and now for Electra and for Frank Castle. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there was tons of pressure. All, all we can kind of say as fans, because Doug and I and the writers are all fans of the show and certainly of comic books and of good television in general and of good cable TV. Uh, all we wanted to do was make something we wanted to be proud of and wanted to watch. Uh, so we, uh, we, we hope it's, it's the kind of thing where like even after working on it for many, many months, I'm still really excited to just sit down and watch them all. Um, and I, and I, that's that's a great unique feeling to have to be like, oh, I just can't wait to just jump back in headfirst and enjoy this as a viewer. Uh, I think we all feel that way. So for season two, um, was there sort of a set plot to come in or was that you came in and you were like, I really want to bring, I really want to add characters. I want to bring Electra and I want to bring Frank. Was that sort of, 
did did they like say yes, go with it? I think it was it was weirdly a little more of a dialogue between Doug, myself, and uh, Marvel TV and Jeff Loeb over there. It was kind of like, what if these were the two shiny toys in the in the chest that you guys could play with? Um, and then we we kind of, I mean, of course, you know, you could do a whole season of just Matt Electra stories. You could do a whole season of just Matt Frank stories. And uh, the same way we did a whole season of Matt Fisk stories, season one. Uh, so to th- the thought of juggling them both for a while, we were kind of like, well, we n- we think we can do this. How do we do this? Uh, and then Doug and I came back with a with a pitch of thirteen episode arc for Marvel and for Netflix, and we said, this is what we want to do with our with our with our you know big beautiful toys. Uh, so and, and there's and there's, and also these are the takes we have for these two huge pieces of of Marvel history. There's. There have been many incarnations of, of Frank. Uh, there have been incarnations of Electra. We wanted to – not only are we saying this is how they're affecting Matt, we also wanted to say this, this is – these are the two – this is why you want to paint these ships before we set them off into the, you know, into the river. Sure. You put a ship in a river. That's fine. That I works. We'll go with Sinking it. Ships. Uh, yeah. So, so a lot of it was – a lot of the preliminary conversations was uh, who is our Electra? And not just as, from a casting perspective but from a character perspective. Who was who is our Electra? Who is our Frank Castle? And we wanted to make them uh, unique to our show and and to the aesthetic of our first season and make them feel like they were part of our world. And this is something that Jeff Loeb and Joe Casada were both great about was Joe kept having this – as far as the look of the characters went, Joe kept having this note which was which was really lovely to think about, uh, which was how do – if you saw these somebody dressed in cosplay at these as, – as this Frank or this Electra, how would we know it was – from this season of Daredevil, that that's how would we know? Even just beyond visually, like what is the essence of of those characters that we're what, what are we doing with them that no one's ever kind of done before? So that was a, a huge challenge. Was also reinventing Elektra and reinventing Frank Castle for our show. It was weird. Like we were kind of making like season two of Daredevil and also two pilots <laughs> called the Elektra and the Frank Show. So it's a lot of pressure. I um, I haven't seen anything yet, and I'm very excited to sort of see Electra come to life. Uh, I I say that the, the Daredevil does really well at bringing women, bringing women on that um, aren't you know just damsels in distress. Mm-hmm. They're strong. Uh, uh, you know, obviously Karen Page is, although she is not a superhero, or she doesn't have fighting powers. She's intelligent and amazing in her in her ability to still still figure out how to solve solve crime. I'm mm-hmm. using quotations. Uh, <laughs> But without without powers, and I cannot wait to see Electra come to mm-hmm. life, especially like in yeah. I was just talking to um, Lorraine, who's the costume designer here, and so she's talking about sort of like Electra's costume and mm-hmm. like what that is, and the many like the three um, versions of that that she has evolved. And as a cosplayer myself, when you said that, when Joe said that, you know, that's really interesting because I can't wait to see these characters come to life, mm-hmm. I, not just in your show. <laughs> But in real life, are you excited for that? Are you? Can you not wait? Yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I am. It's going to be really cool to see to see the first people, specifically. I think with Electra, uh, specifically with young women, I think it'll be really exciting to see, you know, k- kids dressing up as these as these as a woman who was really strong, who kind of has her own sense of who she is, and comes into our world fully baked, which which is something I love about her. Uh, and she knows who she is. She knows what she wants very clearly in, in some ways more than Matt even. Um, yeah, it's going to be exciting to go to walk into Comic-Con next year and see a bunch of people dressed as Bernthal's Frank uh, and see a bunch of people dressed as Elodie's Electra. Uh, that'll that'll be really cool. That'll make the 700 emails back and forth, uh, <laughs> which were all constructive, you know, but like the, yeah, it's yeah. a big it's a big decision. That'll make all that really worth it. Uh, and, and also it's I think just from a practical perspective, the way that we set up. Uh, Matt season one and the way that the show is really grounded and continues into Jessica and into Luke, the way that everything is so grounded, it really feels like, you know, our, our, our vigilante season one, you could, you could make that Matt costume with store-bought materials with an Under Armour shirt, some pants and what we jokingly called the do-rag. I mean, people did. Yeah, It was exactly. like the shirt went, was like out of, was like backordered on Amazon, like in go. preparation for San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, I saw lots of, uh, lots of those guys uh, on Halloween walking around. Yeah. It was good. Oh, it's appropriate. It's the right city. Yeah. Luckily, I had my own do-rag. So I was like, <laughs> already got this. So changing gears a little bit, mm-hmm. um, why don't you talk a little bit about like what the writing room is like? I, I think what I'm really fascinated with 
um, you know, we we here at Marvel.com, we produce a lot of, we produce mostly everything in-house, and there's one writer, and they write everything. Mm-hmm. But, like, for film and TV, it's really interesting that, like, there is a writing room, and, like, the, you know, one writer may write one episode or multiple episodes, and every writer brings a different perspective. But, like, the writing room is something so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And to me. <laughs> it is a fishbowl. People ask me what my job is like, and I tell them, uh, when I tell my mom, I just, it's kind of like, I've been doing this about six years, I tell her it's kind of like a, um, a conference call that never ends in, in the writer's room, or like a meeting, like a, a, a staff meeting that just never ends. We just It's just all the eight or nine of us in a room with a bunch of whiteboards, and the amount of time we spend alone at our desks is actually pretty minimal. So it's mostly interaction. It's mostly us sitting across from, from people. So for Doug and I, when we had to, when we were staffing the room earlier this season, it was mostly just like who do we who do we want to spend time with? Who who are these? Who are the writers who we who we want to take help us uh, to take people on this journey? And and reading writing samples, we I think we found uh, a bunch of really great writers this season. So I can I can detail. I'd actually like to give a little shout out to yeah, go for it. to three uh, women who we hired this season mm-hmm. as writers on our show, um, who I think we probably would have hired hired even without bringing Electra into the mix. Um, but we have three writers, Lauren Hisrick, uh, Whit Anderson, and Sneha Corse, who are joining us from all their many wonderful career accolade things to, to come tell a, a great story this season. Um, and they were fantastic. And one of the things I love the most about the fact that about the fact that we we hired them and how we kind of all interacted in the room is I don't think they ever felt the pressure to only pitch stories for the women. Um, they, they pitched as many Frank stories as they pitched Electra stories, and we loved them for it. And uh, and I'm pretty sure they got they got as many of those Frank stories in there as we did, you know. And so that, that's that was pretty great. Um, I'm, I think I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. I've worked in a couple writers' rooms where uh, I've I've learned a lot about writing women. I, I've worked on Orange Is the New Black for a year, and I certainly think I uh, I learned a lot that year uh, just about about how mostly I learned how to not approach some some of the stuff, which I don't want to. Uh, no, it's a joke. Um, but yeah, no, we we got great we got great writers this season. But for the specifically for your podcast, I think uh, we have three great female writers. See, I didn't even know that. That's Mm -hmm. great. Thank you for dropping those names. You got it. Yeah, I'm I'm name dropping. Name dropping. (laughs) Name dropping the women. I bet you they're name dropping me when they're on like men writer podcasts. Damn it. I think all other podcasts are men writer podcasts. I know. That was a joke. Uh, (laughs) Um, Okay. One last question for you and then I'll let you get back to work. Uh, Is there a scene that you are particularly excited to come to life? This season? Yes. Oh, there's there's a bunch. Um, There's there's Probably one or two in each episode that, that I that, that where Doug and I have looked at each other in post and been like I can't believe we got away with this, uh, not and just in a in a from a geek perspective too we're just like oh my god we have a scene that we just shot last night that I think is going to be one of the highlights of the season and it's very simple you know the setup is just it's it's Matt and Electra on a rooftop um, Matt is in the Daredevil suit no helmet and they're they're at a moment of crisis in in the show and it's just the two of them and part of me kind of can't believe that I'm sitting there writing. That's, you know that we that we're shooting a scene that we wrote based on these two super iconic characters in New York City and in, in Lower Manhattan. I was kind of like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. Um, and those two also, uh, and those two actors. Yeah, that, I mean, there's tons of them. There's there, Frank has tons of moments this season. Uh, Karen has tons of moments this season that I just feel like I'm really excited for. Um, yeah, there's Matt Foggy stuff that's that's going to be a lot of fun. I, I. Well, besides the scene, because we don't want to spoil anything for everyone at home, um, I'm actually really excited to sort of see where Karen is this season. Can you tease a little bit for the audience? I, I mean, I, all, I guess most of what I can say is at the end of the season, as this happens a lot in TV and as having been in enough writers' rooms, uh, I think uh, at the end of a season you kind of sit back and wonder, or beginning of a new season, you sit back and you wonder, like, okay, what do we really want to do this season? And that sometimes there are just, it's just like writing, uh, not to sound pretentious about it, but sometimes you're just writing for... In, 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 to use this metaphor, you're writing for an orchestra and you have a soloist who's amazing. You're just like, well, we got we to gotta do something with this, with this person. This, this is just incredible. Um, and I think both Doug and I felt that uh, at the beginning of the season for Karen. We, she's not a superhero in this world, uh, so it's going to be really easy for her to get lost in the world of people who can do you know, backflips off rooftops. Um, so we, we purposely felt like we, especially with her relationship developed with Ben Yurick season one, we felt we we just can't lose her. We we can't lose her to weak story. We just have to constantly think about how to push Karen to the front, um, because Foggy and Matt have the at the very least they have the legal stories. They can you can always rely on with them. But with Karen, felt like we there's a version of this where we really just screw up and and, and lose sight of Karen. Um, so from moment one, we were like, okay, what 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 are the kind of coolest situations we can put her in this season? 
And how can we empower her at every turn and make her the smartest person in the room <laughs> as often as possible and the angriest person in the room as often as possible. And uh, I think we did it a couple of times. I think we're, we're pretty proud of it. And, and Deborah delivered in spades. And uh, yeah, no, we're, we're it's, it's, all I will say is it's, it's, it would have been really easy for us to just kind of forget about her, I think, because of just the nature of the, the way that the characters are built. You know, you've got Frank Castle now, you've got Electra now, you've got murderers running around in New York City part of you from the most primal part of the storyteller's mentality is just like well we want to see those person those people murdering people in the alleys um but continuing to tell really smart stories for her was always on our mind and i think at the end of the day we've got a really good arc for her uh which we loved writing which we loved shooting every actor who she interacted with uh just loved working with her and uh everyone loved writing karen scenes it was it was one of the things whenever we'd be talking about karen stories this season uh the writers in the room would often kind of argue over who got to, who got to write them because she's just so much fun to, to write for. I remember this happening a little bit last season with Ben. Uh, everyone was just so in love with writing for Fondi because he's incredible. Once the, once the Daily started coming in, we're all like, oh, oh, crap. He makes me look better than I am. <laughs> and there's nothing, you can't ask for anything more from, as a writer. You're like, wait, they make me look better. Um, and I think that happened with Karen. I will say that, like, entering in season one, like, for the first episode, I sort of, like, I'm going in for Matt. Mm-hmm. And I think I left being like, oh, I'm here for Karen. Because I think yeah. that her storyline was so emotional and real. And, like, I still loved Matt. And I, I think Charlie does a really great job. Mm-hmm. But, like, Deborah is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So I cannot I'm – so, I'm, I'm, like, sitting here. I'm really excited. We are, like, months out from this coming out. And now I'm going to have to sit and, like, keep quiet. And I'm, yeah. But I'm very excited. Thank you for joining us Thank and talking to us. We will see you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. We chatted the stages of Electra's costume and more with Lorraine Calvert. Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer, and I am live on the set of Daredevil Season 2, and on today... I'm very excited to bring you the costume designer for Daredevil Season 2, Lorraine Calvert. Welcome. Thank you. So you're, you're joining us, um, Season 2. Um, what was sort of your process for, you know, stepping into this Hell's Kitchen world? Uh, it was, well, first of all, it was a quick jump into it because we immediately went about changing... Uh, changing some things on Daredevil 1, season 1's costume. So that was a quick process we had to do by episode 4, 3, 4. And um, so that was all-encompassing, trying to figure out, first of all, what the costume was in the first place, because I had never done a superhero. And uh, Megan and I had both worked with a costume shop that had done the original costume, so we begged, 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 and prayed and prayed and prayed that she would take it on again. And we were lucky enough that she did at Hargate. And um, so we we just had to make, that was, the, that was the first big jump into the show, was along with all the other gangsters and thugs we and biker gangs and all of that and the huge amount of stunt world and multiples. That was the first uh, big jump into Daredevil 2. And, you know, you've done a bunch of shows based in New York City. Um, You've worked on The Sopranos. You've worked on Forever. Um, But this is a little bit uniquely different because it's it's the real world, but not the real world at the same time. Um, Was your was your previous experience sort of influence it, but also, you know, look to the comics to see how that would also influence it? Uh, a little bit, but this is a very real world. It's pretty gritty and pretty, as as they as we always say, very grounded. So I think it's a departure from all those shows and a departure from the comics. I feel it's just a very. I don't think for ever one minute did you find it odd that there was someone in a in a superhero suit because it was just so well patched into the world around him and uh such a unique part of it i i just it's just so believable to me and that was my my first thing when i when i watched all the episodes of season one was how well they did that it's pretty astounding i will say that that's the sort of refreshing uh look of sort of netflix you know we've seen 
we've seen Jessica Jones in this Hell's Kitchen world and, you know, we've seen Daredevil and we're, you know, we've, we've seen a, a peek into Luke and sort of like what I think makes Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones and all these worlds so believable and amazing is that they're realistic. Like you could believe you could literally like we have they have this amazing view. You could literally like look outside and someone could be flying next to the window. And I and that's sort of very magical because you also film in New York City, which is great. Mm. Yeah, it's, we, we have some pretty gritty sets. The other day we were on the Upper East Side, which is an unusual spot for us to be. But <laughs> we're mostly in Brooklyn and uh, and Queens and, and lower Manhattan. So, yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about what we should expect from these new characters that are now joining the show, Electra and uh, Frank? Well, Electra's character, like the comics, is is a socialite. She comes to us from a very rarefied world, and it's not until the very end that we get a glimpse into her past, the very last, next to the last episode. And um, she comes from a very wealthy, wealthy world, uh, but she's a she's a very hardened woman, I'd say, and. Um, but a very beautiful woman <laughs> and a very feminine woman. And she, um, and so that process was, I got to do, I mean, Megan and I got to do three stages of her. We got to do the socialite, beautiful uh, a person that would fit in in New York fabulously. And then the stage two, which was more the, how was she going to fight these fights she had to fight in real clothes? So we had to come up with that version of, what could she do and what could her stunt person do all these flips and these movements in, and we still believe that's something she, she found somewhere. And, uh, and stage three, of course, is her superhero costume. And that's a bit more evolved and takes a bit from the comic books, like the, uh, the little tabard front, the, um, and the colors and things like that. And the boots, I guess. I can't quite remember in the comic books what her legs were. Do you? Her legs? But uh, she's, I, I, I would say she's less, a little bit less sexy in, the, in this version, a little more grounded and real because she does have to fight in it. Um, but she's, she's a thing to behold, a beauty to behold. And as far as Frank Castle, that's a that's also a very um, you know that was a long process with with the actor John Bernthal. It was it was a lot of fittings, a lot of lot of fittings, a lot of discussions, a lot of camera tests, a lot of back and forth, a lot of distressing, a lot of changing, uh, and but I think I think we came up with something that does justice to. Frank Castle and the Punisher and the actor John and the Marvel world. And it was really a collaborative effort, I would say. Yeah, I, I have not yet, at this point of recording, I've not yet seen these, but the way that you're talking about them is sort of, I, I can't wait to see them come to life. And that's like the one thing is, that especially with Electra, where the, you know, the actual actress has a black belt in karate. Like she brings that element of, uh, of stunt and all that stuff and, and being able, as someone who makes costumes, who makes cosplay, I assure you, like, most time when people draw comic book characters, none of this is practical in real life. And I think that that's, you know, it's always fascinating to see how, you know, it's brought brought to life on stage, something that someone can actually flow in and kick in and jump in and do all that type of stuff because sometimes spandex is not forgiving. <laughs> no, and that's that's something we, we learned as well because when we started speaking with Mary Ellen at the costume shop, you know, she has so much experience with these superheroes and, and it has to be a really heavy duty fabric to take the beating that these superheroes have to take. And, um, it can't be, it can't be a spandex. It has to be like what, what she, what she ended up with is a Euro Jersey and it has to be, and then it has to be printed. So it has some texture to it and isn't just a flat black or a flat red. And, and it, um, you know, it has to have many pieces. It has to have leather trim. It has to have things on it so that visually you look at it and it looks interesting to you. It's not just a flat 
because it wouldn't be good if it was just a flat thing with no treatment on it. And and that was all very, uh, very, uh, I really learned a lot about it, <laughs> really learned a lot about it. And even as we go along, there's things that I would probably do differently or that I would, for instance, we have some plastics, snaps and hooks on daredevil suit and in the cold weather they're snapping and breaking there's probably a better way to do that maybe they should be leather something more pliable or flexible i don't know but definitely it's worth checking out in the next go round because there's not everything works all the time yes yeah i i remember like that's what i always say for cosplayers is that before you go to a con put the costume on for the first time and walk around the room in it because yeah. You never know what'll happen. Yeah, and it, and it was true of uh, of the Punisher, because how many versions of it did we do, Megan? Maybe right away we did four different coat versions that we put into fabric. Uh, that you know we we have two seamstresses here on staff, and we had four versions. Then we went out and bought probably eight versions of a different one, and then we altered them, we distressed them, and came down to one thing. But yes, the original idea was just a little bit, a little bit left of what, you know, what we ended up with is a little bit different than what we started out with. That's for sure. And it came about with a lot of, uh, a lot of feedback, a lot of effort, a lot of actor input, which is important. And um, so it's a, it was a good process of thinking back on it all. That's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so sort of like changing topic slightly. Um, so we're, we're in their costume shot right now. I'm looking at all of these costumes they're packing up, which all look amazing. But sort of why don't you talk about sort of what your day-to-day -day here is? Like what is... You know, well, maybe like a, I'll pick a specific thing. Why don't like let's say you're gonna be working with a a new character or something like that, so you need to do fittings and stuff like that. So, like for those at home, sort of what does a costume designer do? Well, it depends on the project, of course, right? But say it is say it is a character that you can actually shop for, so you shop like mad because usually you know you don't have that many days to do it to accomplish it. Fish. This is much better than most because we had, the casting was very quick, so we would have time to go out and shop. Then we have to schedule the fitting, then we have the fitting, then we, we put the pictures up so everybody can have, you know, particularly Doug and Marco, who are the showrunners, have an idea of how they wrote this character, how they saw it. And if anybody has a problem with it, then they can comment. But we would include the director. We would include Jeff Loeb and Jim Corey. And uh, but mostly Doug and Marco had some, you know, had thoughts about what they wanted that character to be. And then you're on to the next character and then the next one and then the next one. And if it's a stunt person, then, it's, uh, then you have to madly go out and get the doubles. You know, not always so easy. So uh, it, it gets to the point where you just, Somebody like Nobu, you say, okay, he's going to wear this in the last episode, but he's going to need five of, so let's get him now. You can only get it if we can get five or six of. So. Do you think you shop a lot for this, or is it, you know, how much how much stuff are you actually making, and how much are you shopping? Um, well, from, from the ground up, we probably didn't. I mean, aside from the superheroes, Probably didn't make as much from ground up. A few things. But, um, you know, for instance, Megan and I worked on Forever last year, and that was a period, you know, they went into a flashback every episode. So there were, there were a lot of things that we made from scratch. But not so much this show. Uh, just a few things. But other than those... Uh, those three particular characters, I would say no, we did. Uh, and the ninjas, we made those. Those were made in house. We had a ninja factory. That's amazing. You have a ninja factory. We had a ninja factory. <laughs> we cranked out. We had four or five people working around the clock for, uh, not around the clock, <laughs> um, but working for a week making, I think they made about 40 to 50 sets of ninjas. Wow. Yeah. 
That's a lot of that's a lot of sewing. Yeah, it was fun though. It was fun to create that that little thing because not everything worked right off the bat, you know. And and of course it we had to have input from Joshua and uh, the creative person at Marvel and and Joe Casada, and so we had to uh, you know we had to remain true to the ninja from the Marvel world, but still make it the way those stunt guys had to work in it. So it was fun because we ended up with a, a modern H&M sweatpant and, uh, and making the, and a compression shirt that we added onto, but then making the wraps out of raw silk and, and fabrics that looked old and are old. I mean, they've been around for a long time, those fabrics, they're natural fabrics. So, um, yeah, and then changing the balaclavas so that they looked more, so it just wasn't something off the street. It was something that we created to look like a, a different world. But Is there uh, an outfit that someone wears that you're very excited to sort of come to life on screen? Definitely Punisher. Definitely, uh, I, I would say definitely Electra stuff. Um, I was very happy with a lot of Nobu stuff, uh, and and the ninjas were just a good part of it, and the yakuza, the Japanese yakuza guards it were amazing. They were a lot of fun to me. So all the and even the um, dogs of hell, the biker group, it just it was fun to create. Once you once you knew what you were doing with it, it was fun to just go to town and. Sometimes it could be hard to get 20 versions of it and make them all look different, but at the same time, it was once you could go with it, you could go with it. It was good. Well, I will say that uh, the first glimpse we have of, uh, of Punisher and Elektra, the clip that they showed at New York Comic Con, fans went crazy. So I'm sure oh, everyone yeah. is oh, very excited to see him, uh, see all of it come to life yeah. again. I mean... Uh, Daredevil's world is is a world that is very much enthralled in fans, and everyone loves him. Uh, and it is uh, it's sort of you know Charlie does such a great job of of bringing this character to life. So, well, one last question for you, and then I will let you get back to work. Do you have any sort of um, recommendations or feedback for people who want to get into the costuming community? Like, if they want to be a costume designer or they want to work in film and TV. Do you have any? That's always a tough question. I I just think you you start out being a production assistant in the costume world and learn what it's like, and uh, and that's pretty much where you. I would say you'd have to start. Like Megan started as a coordinator, so she worked on a lot of big projects, uh, and um, so you you just have a wealth of knowledge that way, and and then. Uh, than assisting people on great projects. And what could be better than Netflix shows, right? Yeah. <laughs> you definitely have a lot of freedom on Netflix, which I think is refreshing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, they do such great shows. True. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. This has been very amazing. Uh, we hope everyone stay tuned for even more Daredevil Season 2 podcasts. This is Marvel, your universe. What is set decoration? Don't worry, Stephanie Bowen fills us in. Welcome to the Woman Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. I am on the set of Daredevil Season 2, currently right now in Brooklyn, and I'm very excited to bring you the set decorator, Stephanie Bowen. Say hi. Hi. So I'm very excited to have you on because, you know, I sort of have a base understanding of what a set decorator is, but I want, for those at home who may not, what does a set decorator do? So the set decorator collaborates with the production designer to create the overall look and the feel of the show. So we're responsible for all the furnishings you see, the furniture, the window treatments, the door hardware, even the glass in the windows, and all the set dressing you see that helps create the environment and makes it come to life. That sounds like a lot of work. 
It is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so say you, you're, you're, uh, you're in pre-production. When does the set decker come in? Like how early in the process are you on set working on these things? Well, it depends if it's a film or a TV show. Usually it's for television. It's usually about six to eight weeks out, depending on if it's a first season or second season show. But I think on this show, it, it might have been five or six weeks. Um, it's often much longer in film, but we, you know, come in and very quickly it happens. We usually, we get a script and we work with the production designer and the director and uh, we start quickly planning and resourcing and, and procuring and bringing everything in and getting it ready. So for, so for Daredevil, which is based in New York City, based in real life New York City, but also it's sort of a comic world where, you know, what is your process for sort of research and stuff like that for, for bringing Matt Murdock's world to life? Well, because it is a second season show, I think his, Matt Murdock's apartment and Nelson and Murdock, these sets were, these are major sets and they were already established. And prior to working on the show, I worked briefly on Jessica Jones, which I think was a great introduction into the Marvel Universe. Um, so I think that helped. And I also binged watch season one. <laughs> so I got to know all the characters. And I was excited. I liked the way it looked. And I was excited to be a part of it. And it's definitely much more gritty. It is this gritty yes. world. You know, is it? So then you have to, like, find dirty things and, like, so is a lot of what you do found or bought, or do you build things? Like, what is the process? Well, it's both. We either find dirty things or make them dirty. We have amazing scenics, and there's a lot of scenic work on these shows. Um, I like that the look of the show, or our intention, is to make it sort of timeless. And um, I think you'll see that in season two also. Um, yeah, we go to a lot of, we go to junkyards and we go to vintage stores and, you know, we buy some things online. We rent some things from prop houses. It's everywhere. Like, even uh, set dressing is also responsible for, like, the conduit, the pipes you see, the light switches. I mean, there's a lot of things we do that people don't know about. So, I, what I really want, sort of, like, let's pick a place that was built, a set that was built, and sort of break down maybe, like, little intricacies that someone at home watching the first time may not notice, but now they're, they're going to listen to this just again. So okay. um, may I actually share what sets are for season two? Okay. Is there one that you, you have a, that's a favorite? Well, I do have a favorite. We did a CEO's office, a Japanese CEO. So that was actually fun, like doing a little bit of research and finding Japanese sources. And this set has a secret room, which is also really fun to work on. Um, I think the set is beautiful and hopefully you will too um, that the process begins when you know the production designer generally goes to the concept meeting and we have a conversation we do research we have reference images what we want the feel of the set to be and then we start sourcing and in television sometimes you have like sometimes you have like 24 hours or less so that's challenging you know, you uh, you know, you can't always get like the perfect piece. Sometimes you have to deal with what's available, or you actually have to build it. Like in New York, because real estate is so expensive and storage, it's often really challenging to find large conference tables. So it seems we often have to build these tables because there, <laughs> you know, very few sitting in the prop houses to our liking. So, you know, we start, we get the script, and we break down the script, and we start, we sometimes know the schedule in advance, sometimes we don't, so we have to think about all the sets, like in the episode, because they happen very quickly, and sometimes they change the schedule on you, which is no fun, <laughs> and you have to really hustle to make it happen. But the best part is you have, like, an amazing team of people like, I have an amazing department, and there's so many talented people working on this show, and it's just, you're never alone. It's just unbelievable group effort, and it's, we're all very invested in these sets because, you know, often, you know, there's, we're finishing the set sometimes, like, 20 minutes before call, and not all the time, but that does happen, <laughs> believe it or not. 
Do you get sad when you have to take down a set then? Not really. <laughs> I mean, I've learned not to get too invested. No, because sometimes um, I've been working in film and television for about six years now, and one thing I've learned is not to get too attached to the work because often when you watch it, you're looking for something that they didn't show. So you never know what they're going to see. So you really dress the whole set. But, you know, quite often it doesn't make the cut. And that's really sad. So you, you've been working for six years. Sort of how did you get started in this? Well, I originally, when I first moved to New York, I worked at a theater. And so I, did, you know, I helped with the props at this small theater. And then I, you know, I was freelance for a while and did some commercials. And then I went to school and I studied interior design. And then I... I did that for a while and did a lot of, you know, commercial and high-end residential work. And then I, I was determined to get into film, and I did it. You did it. You're here. I can't believe it. <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> no, but it's, um, I know a lot of people want to know how to get into film and television, and that's a really hard question because it doesn't seem there is a, a linear process because everyone has their own story. But I sort of, I took a step backwards. I, w I was working as an interior designer and I wanted to get into film, but I found it was all union. So I, I worked as a production assistant and I had a lot of great mentors and kind of worked my way in. I will say that's the one thing I've sort of learned as I talk to more and more, I mean, this is the same sort of the truth in the comic community too, but. You know, we always say that um, getting into comics is like breaking out of jail. Right. You can't do the same way once. Right. Like, again, once it happened, you can't do it again. And I think that sort of film and TV is very uniquely different. I mean, definitely talking to people in L.A., they were like, they were like, yes, I wanted to be in film and TV, and I worked on it, and I worked on it, and then I was there, and that was it. And I was like, I mean, it is all about hard work, and I feel like what you guys do, like, you know, maybe not necessarily when you're watching the show and it's only, you know, 60 minutes, but like walking, walking the sets the sheer amount of work that you guys do is is phenomenal. And also, like, we walked on the sets when we first got here, and I was like, oh, it's so pretty, everything is great. It's just like the, you know, it's it's almost like you feel like you're you're part of this world just on the set. It's amazing. Thank you. It's either pretty or ugly, and <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> so I've already asked you what your favorite set is, but do you have a favorite scene that you can't wait to see? I don't, you know, it's the first time I've ever worked on a show that was so stunt-driven. So for me, it's really fun to watch. And because it is so stunt-driven, you know, I would often have to buy two dressers, three lamps, and four <laughs> of the smalls that go on the dresser. So that part was really interesting. So I, I'm kind of excited to see all the action. <laughs> I never thought about that. See, these are like little things. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, you obviously when they're like fighting and they break that, they're like, well, they probably did that scene like five times. So they had to break it multiple right. times. And maybe like one time they broke it the wrong way and you're probably like, oh, damn, got to go buy another one. Yeah, you have to find, so you can't just find any vintage lamp. You have to find a lamp in multiples that <laughs> looks vintage. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thank, um, you. thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hopefully everyone at home can now sort of go back and rewatch season two and sort of look at the little intricacies of each scene and each set and see the hard work that yes. your entire team put into it. Thank you. Of course, we'll check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. And finally, it's all about hair, hair, and more hair with Kat Drazen. Welcome to the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to talk all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer, and I am bringing you another one of the amazing behind-the-scenes people here at Daredevil Season 2. We have the head of the hair department. I almost, that was like a, a mind boggle of words, of H words. <laughs> we have Kat Drazen with us. Hello. So you are head of the hair department. Head of the hair department, yes. What does that mean? Well, it means that we um, come together in pre-production to come up with designs, um, 
for the hair, for the characters that are recurring, and also new char- characters that come about uh, for season two, which is what I ran the department for. And basically what it means is we create the character with hair. That is my responsibility. How can I take this actor and transform them into character based on on their haircut and style and color in some cases? So so that's what we do in the in the hair department. It seems, you know, sort of in the idea, sort of a simple idea, but so essential to how a character is seen on screen. I've been told that hair makes the character. So, you know, it it is an important part, head to toe, Um, not only hair, but makeup and costume as well. You have to work together to come up with this essential look. So... In a way, the the look as a whole ends up being a character in its own to go along with with the character. <laughs> so, you, so you say you came on an early in pre production, sort of like how early do you come in? Is it something that's you know does the character's hair evolve uh, throughout the series? You know, like how 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 much are you involved in sort of the hair? I'm usually hired about two weeks prior to filming. And that's when I come in and I get together with the designer and the producers and we start breaking down scripts and I give them my ideas about how I think the character should look. It does evolve sometimes a little bit as the season goes on. Things happen, um, you know, and we change it based on, you know, lighting. If the color's too dark, then we lighten it. If the cut's not working and appropriately then we change it but essentially we have to come up with the idea and have it set and established prior to day one of filming so that's you know not something that we have to worry about as the season goes on so that's that's how much prep time they they give us so one of the things that's uh, I'm a cosplayer on the side I like making costumes and I've noticed that more recently you know going to wigs is is there are, are there any wigs on on Daredevil or is all of this like real hair? It's mostly real hair, which is exciting and out of the norm for for a department head uh, running a show. We usually use a lot of hair. Um, I kid that almost everybody has has some sort of additional hair in their head, but with this show, not so much. We kept it very uh, natural and and as real as possible. Um, we do, however, with stunt doubling, have to you know wig and use pieces to create the illusion that it's the same character um, or actor playing that part. Um, you know, with with stunting, but for the most part, everybody here has their their own hair. Um, some flashback scenes, we we added some hair or gave the illusion of taking it away. But this is not essentially a big wig show. I will say that Deborah Ann Wall's hair is amazing. Amazing. It's silk. It's, it's so like beautiful. liquid. I I love playing with her hair. <laughs> and that is all her. <laughs> I, I, we were watching a scene earlier with her, and uh, and I, I, she was just, like, tucking her hair behind her ears. And I was like, wow, I wish my hair was like that. I know. It's glorious. I mean, she is the modern-day Rapunzel. Her hair is, like, gold, spun, and beautiful. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously a lot of uh, maybe an element of, of sort of the hair department is when they come on and they have to go straight to hair and makeup. Is that part of your team? That is part of our team. We are the first stop in the morning. Um, they come in and, you know, prepare for the day. So, you know, it's essential that we, you know, start the day off right um, for them. Nice, comfortable, quiet space, um, you know, while we while we work and get get ready to start the day. So, yeah, first stop. Got to have your bright eyes on <laughs> and a cheery well, smile. I feel like it's probably very bright inside, too. So <laughs> it good is. morning. My side, I keep it a little dull and darker. <laughs> I, I don't need the light shining into their eyes so much um, or mine. But, yeah, it is, a, it is a bright working space. But it's also a great time for them to come in and prepare for the day. Um, it's not a very loud space. We keep it very mellow. Um, it's a good good time for them to prepare. We can ask questions, you know, bounce ideas off each other for future episodes or looks that um, that I have in mind or that the actor has in mind. It's it's our one time during the day that thirty to sixty minutes where we can really be together and and talk about the day and the looks that are going to come about in the future. 
I will say that, like, the one thing I'm really learning about the way that, you know, this TV show ebbs and flows is is the collaboration between all the different departments makes, really makes the show, you know, like, from the writers talking to the actors, the actors talking to their stunt doubles, Mm -hmm. you know, costume, you guys, makeup, all of these different things, you are all coming together to make a great final product. Yeah, it's true. We are all little pieces of a crazy jigsaw, and we have to you know, work together to make sure that the puzzle fits and flows. So you do have to collaborate. It's a, it's a, you have to be willing to be a part of a team. Um, it's one of the things that I, I enjoy most. I love collaborating with the costume designer along with the writer and getting p- ideas of his vision and then seeing it come to life through the clothing. And then, and then we get to put, you know, the makeup on and then you style the hair and boom, there it is. You were bringing characters to life. It's it's really a cool concept. And everybody gets so excited because you see your idea now in front of you in live action. It's it's a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I mean, I work in digital world. Everything is so distinctly different from film and TV. <laughs> so how did you get started in this? I um I'm one of those dorks that knew in seventh grade exactly what it was that I wanted to do. And um, I'll shorten the story as much as I can. We took a field trip with my class to see Guys and Dolls, and I was blown away. It was my first show, first time out of a small little town. And at that moment, I knew in some way I was going to be involved. So as, um, as I proceeded ahead with school, I got involved with the drama department, and I worked behind the scenes, and hair just kind of came natural um, I would sit and do my girlfriend's hair. I constantly chopped up my doll's hair. And when it finally dawned on me at about 11th grade, I knew. And I pursued it. And my parents allowed me to do it. So I moved here to New York. And that was it. 16 years later, here we are. It's interesting that you moved to New York and not to L.A. I was in L.A. for about five months in 2000. <laughs> it didn't, and then I went to San Francisco and I worked um, with the American Cancer Society and that's how I learned to ventilate wigs. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't stay long. I'm from the Northeast. So there was always a little bit of a pull to come to come back. This is my home. And um, yeah, I came back and just been grinding away. Do you have any advice for people who want to work in film and TV? I would say if it's something that you want to do, to go for it. It's an amazing industry. I love my job. There's not one morning that goes by that I'm not willing to hop out of bed and come in and rock it out. I'm, I, think it's, I think it's an amazing career choice. Um, it's not easy and it's not glamorous, but it's, it's fun and exciting and thrilling, and you get to be a part of an amazing project no matter, no matter what it is. I say go for it. Well, I want to thank you for joining us to talk about hair. Thank you. So make sure you guys are looking for all of her beautiful hair stylings throughout Daredevil Season 2. We will check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. Thanks to the crew of Marvel's Daredevil for joining us this week. Head over to Netflix to stream all 13 episodes of Season 2 now. As always, if you have questions, please email us at womanof at marvel.com or tweet at marvel hashtag womanofmarvel. We'll be back next week with YouTuber Comic Book Girl 19 as we chat Marvel's Off the Rack. We'll check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. We are, we are.